we can only transform what we emotionally touch. That's it. So we must be willing to go in those dark places within ourselves. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Mentors. Today we have on Anne Bayou. Anne is an internationally accredited emotional intelligence coach, which has written over 30 ebooks and a thriving series called The Emotionally Intelligent Way. She is a Forbes writer and an international speaker, but most importantly, she's an empowered woman who leads her business from her heart. Anne has an extremely interesting story about what led her to become an EI coach and how it changed her life. And this podcast has many ups and downs and wisdoms to it. So in this episode, I conducted things a little differently. Things were just going so well that I just decided to press record and go with the flow. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Oh, do you want to talk? Are we talking now? Are we having this interview right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you like, recording? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was like, it was going so naturally, just the flow of the conversation. I was like, well, you know what? Like, let's just surprise her. And then at the, after an hour, she's like, hey, are we supposed to be recording? I'm like, no, we already, we already did that. We oh, totally did that. funny. All right. <laughs> but what's your question? <laughs> I got distracted with the recording. Don't even worry. Don't even worry. Well, we're talking about um, the inner child and you're like, yeah, all the child within us, it likes to giggle. But um, I read a little bit about your origin story, and that wasn't yeah. the case for you originally. No. So how do you, can you like tell me a little bit about your story in the first place, and then how you let your, slowly how you let yourself free, how you let that inner child grow? Okay, uh, before I tell my story, I always put a caveat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's beware. It's my, some people might want to, even though they say they want to know, but many people don't want to know. It's that, you know, they look at the movie, the horror movie, and then they have their hands on their face and they're <laughs> peeking through. And, but at the same they're like, oh my God, why did I watch that? But at the same time, they cannot take their eyes away. And that's the, the sen- sensationalism in it. So in a nutshell, because it's a nutshell, I grew up with, oh, it could make a freaking movie. I grew up with a sociopath father. You might say, well, they are sociopaths out there. No, no, no. No, no. My, my father was special that way. He was a type of man who went in his garage one day and decided, hmm, I'm going to take a winter tire and I'm going to carve a whip out of it so that I can break the wheel of that little girl who loves to laugh. Mm. And um, like horrific stories, like, like he took my kittens and it's part of my one of my signature talks and makes people cry because they love animals but mm-hmm. like he smashed their heads I said I was seven years old and I saw that oh and he was like he was looking at me at the same time and I'm frozen completely terrified yeah. so you would think turn around you must have a mother my mother was clinically insane I'm, I'm laughing because you know like how you have siblings and you might think well he gets that and I get that why do they get who's your favorite Well, my mother was pregnant my whole childhood with the child of Jesus Christ. Huh. (laughs) She was... (laughs) I competed with ghost children. Oh, my goodness. Talk about being like the underdog. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So I went very young. I ejected. Mm -hmm. I went inside my head. I was gone. And the, the way, what I did is I bought into society. I stopped mm-hmm. laughing. 
I was like, okay, the world, my belief was the world is a, is a cruel place. Uh, it's me against the world. The world will hurt me. I must become smarter. So I became fully academic. I have more diplomas than a performing monkey on crack. And people <laughs> laugh when I say that. Mm -hmm. And it can be very daunting because I have over 18 degrees and certifications. Wow. Uh, I have the kind of brain that can learn. I can learn. I can, it's like a sponge. If I wanted to be a tree hugger, I could be a tree hugger. If I wanted to be a brain surgeon, I could apply myself. In 10 years, I would be a brain surgeon. Yes. And people are like, well, you must be proud of that. And I was like, no. And they're mm -hmm. like, why? Because the reason I did it, there's always a why as to why we do things. And my why was I had such low self-worth that if I had all these diplomas and all these degrees, then maybe you would love me more because mm. I couldn't see myself. Yes. I, so I became completely lost. For, so for me to reconnect with those giggles again, mm -hmm. it was brutal. It was, mm -hmm. it was um, if you've ever seen The Matrix, the movie, mm -hmm. I met Morpheus. Wow. I needed soul surgery because I had seen too much violence in my life. I Feeling, in order to have that inner child, we need to feel. We need yes. to feel. And our society says, don't feel. Just, just learn stuff. But we need to feel because that's our mm -hmm. truth. So at the bottom of all those tears and all this stuff that I had repressed, that I had, that I had avoided feeling because the trauma was too big, mm -hmm. was that little girl. And I made the journey. Because yeah. I realized that without her, I had nothing real. Yeah. My How life was just a sh an empty shell. Yeah. How did you, seeing, seeing your journey in the perspective of an emotional intelligence coach now, a very successful emotional intelligence coach now, how did you reconnect with that inner child um, and find that again? Feel. Mm. It sounds, it's... Um, we process things. I want you to think of like zero to 180 degrees for simplicity. Zero to 90 degrees, we can deal. We can deal. That's the stuff that we talk about. That's the stuff that we can express, however good or bad, what we can express to some level. 90 to 180 degrees, we compartmentalize. We send it in that subconscious mind. And we think that's what we say that runs the show. No. It's what we don't say mm -hmm. that runs the show. Okay. So to reconnect with that child, whatever pain you have suppressed, whatever you deny within yourself, that's where that child is. Mm -hmm. So it must be able to touch that, that darkness, that pain, and turn it into light to, to say some woo-woo stuff, but it's, it's what it is. It's we, on, we can only transform what we emotionally touch. That's it. Mm -hmm. So we must be willing to go in those dark places within ourselves. I have that courage to face, to enter that cave and yeah. feel that pain what the, and develop compassion for that child. That's mm -hmm. how we come out of it. Did you know something, do, do people know that there's something wrong in the first place? Because I know the majority of people say, well, nothing's wrong with me, I'm perfectly normal. There's no cave to enter, therefore there's no treasure to seek. I'm perfectly fine the way I am. 
How, how do you go about finding that cave in the first place and entering those thoughts? Well, for me, it was the opposite because I had very low self-worth. True, mm. in front of other people. I had, <laughs> I had all my shit together. Oh my goodness. I had built like the perfect image, mm. but underneath. It's like I say to people, if you really want to know the depth of your relationship with yourself, imagine you're alone in a metal block, like a metal cell. No windows, no door. You're completely naked. There's no one else in the room but you. And you have zero contact with the external world. Wow. Where does your mind go? Mm. That's where that child is. That's, I have to pause on that for a little bit. That's something really difficult to think about, but necessary. You cannot think about it. It's a feeling. Mm. And then how do, you, how do you process that? You can't, I'm already <laughs> processing. <laughs> <laughs> my face becomes soft. I'm like, I'm like hugging myself. <laughs> How we process is we feel what our life means to us. Mm. See, people come, like I ask myself, why am I here? Why am I here? Why was I born? Why so much pain? Why? I had so many whys. But the answers to those whys, it's feel, we get it through feeling. If you if we go through your head to, to justify, well, why am I here? You're going to get a million answers. And you're going to make some right and you're going to make some wrong. And depending on your mood or circumstances. But feeling, that's your truth. That's mm -hmm. your truth. And how we do that is through vulnerability. It's intimacy. People, when they think of intimacy, they think about sex and stuff like that. No, no, no. Intimacy, intimacy is into me, see. It's allowing ourselves to be with us. But most people are very uncomfortable. They don't like being alone. They don't like the quietness. They don't like the solitude. They don't like because they can hear themselves. Oh. They know what they're thinking. They can hear the chit chat. They can, you know, and, and it can frazzle many people. So then they try to suppress it by alcohol, drugs. Uh, for me, like my drugs of choice were, you know, um, depression, uh, blaming, shaming. It was everybody's fault but my own. I was a full victim, full martyr. Okay. And, and, but when I heard those voices, you have a choice. Yes. You have a choice. And then how did you choose correctly? For me, at first, it was because feeling wasn't, it's like a muscle. It's like that journey from the head to the heart. Mm -hmm. It wasn't um, natural for me because when I felt, I felt pain. So that's the th first thing that I felt was pain because it was my childhood. I, I would see and see horrendous things. And I was like, is that what I'm supposed to go through? All these, all, all these layers of pain, and then what, what if I never make it to the other side? Mm -hmm. But it was that courage, you could say in a way, to want, I wanted it more than anything. So for me, it became that my mantra was, I choose me, I choose me, I choose me. I am worthy of loving me. I am, I am my own miracle. I save myself. No one will save me, I save me. That's personal power. Mm -hmm. 
and it's claiming that inner voice. And it, I, it became my mission in life, whatever it took. And it scared the shit out of people. I sank really low. I lost everything. Mm. When I realized I was disconnected, it's like when you step outside of your life, but you don't see it through the rose-colored glasses of the ego. It's like, hey, I'm good. <laughs> but you, you truly see where you're at, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It can be quite, quite daunting. And for me, it was, it was like falling down a cliff, 100 feet down, mm -hmm. no parachute. And I landed flat out. And I stayed there for months, bawling. I would go on the street and people would say, like, I would be like, you know, Magdalene on the Jerusalem wall, just bawling. Mm -hmm. And people would say, why, why are you so sad? And I would say, I don't know. I'm just so sad. But it was processing all that sadness that I had denied myself as a child because I, it was, I had shut down. That had to be processed. So over time, it took about a year, a year of solid crying. And if you've ever had anxiety, imagine anxiety where you burn. Mm -hmm. You're actually, you're on fire physically. I burned five months solid. Oh, but I was, I lost 25 pounds on this frame. And I, I never gave up. Because I realized was like, I need that, I, I need that relationship with me. We're the vessel. Mm -hmm. Without that relation, like we're the vessel. People think you have a hundred relationships or a thousand. You have one. The people mm -hmm. are on board. That vessel. And that vessel, it's either a small barge, a paddle board, or it's a cruise ship that goes on the ocean. You get to decide mm -hmm. how deep the relationship goes. But I was, the t I clicked on that. And, and I just, I never gave up. I never mm -hmm. gave up because I had nothing left to lose. I had already faced my demons. I already knew their name. And I already knew what had happened to me. And I was just determined. Mm -hmm. and, and some of these demons, just so you know, it wasn't just the, the whip or, or the kittens or stuff like that. I, I, I was raped by my father, I was by my uncles, I was gang molested at six and a half years old and I made it my fault by five mm -hmm. teenagers. I remember being at the corner of the house before going inside my, my home, putting my clothes on, my hair is all disheveled, I have like long hair, I'm six and a half years old and I'm wiping my tears and I'm saying to myself, stop crying, just stop crying. And, and I put my clothes on and I walked inside the house like nothing happened. That's how, that's all the stuff that I had to process. And then one day, when we don't give up, I walked on the street a year later and I could hear my footstep. It was autumn and the leaves, you know, they go in the wind and they, and they were, you know, just in the wind, flying in the wind. And I saw this leaf in front of me and it was, and I just watched it and I burst out crying. But I was like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. <laughs> this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Yes. And it was like in that moment, 
somebody, something in me turned the light on. Mm-hmm. And I heard the giggles of that child. And I knew in that moment I had made it on the other side. I was home. That is an amazing story. Many twists and many turns, but you were <laughs> determined. You were so determined. And you found, and, and you, you were on the other side. You were home, and that's amazing. And I know now that you have, you, I don't think you would have been able to picture yourself at this, you know, as young as you were to where you are now, saying, oh, you know, I'm a successful person. I help other people and help them with their struggles. I help businesses, and I write books. Uh, when you write, what has been, like, the most challenging uh, story that you've had to write about and, and, you know, kind of put in people's faces? What was, like, the most difficult story to capture? For the true love of the game. Mm. That was the hardest one. Okay. I've written um, 30, so far 30 mm-hmm. books. For the true love of the game was my life story. And I wanted to, to write it in a way that would inspire people mm-hmm. without making them cry from A to Z and or pity, because that has nothing to do. Pity is like the most horrible thing that was ever invented by the mind. Pity mm-hmm. is... It sucks. It's, it's never good. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to portray, and I thought about it, what metaphor can I use? And I used the metaphor of playing hopscotch. Mm-hmm. And it was like how, for me, down the road, it became about the money. It became about the accolades. It became about how many digits in my bank account can I have? And it was how to show that, that journey uh, in a way, by asking questions. That, that the reader could ask themselves those questions and start their own process, their own journey. Mm-hmm. Like for me, the question that started all this, why I decided to come home, is I attended an event uh, by Dove Barron. I had never attended a personal development event in my life. God knows I needed it. <laughs> and, and he was on stage and he asked this question. He asked, who are you hurting by playing small? Mm-hmm. And I saw my kids, and I saw myself, and it, it just, that night I went to bed crying, and I was just, what am I doing? Where am I going? What's my purpose? Why was I born? And it triggered all these questions. So I sought him out and started working with him, and he's the guy I call Morpheus. He facilitated this whole process. And within a few years, I went from like this depressed woman who was weeding her garden (laughs) to an international force, which is like mind blowing. That is amazing. And what did did that process look like with you and uh, Mr. Barton? It's, I see Dove uh, every week. I've been mm-hmm. seeing him for five years and counting. I just hired him for a two-year contract. I have issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to work with my issues. <laughs> like, I only, see, the thing is, I understand like a deep truth that he's taught me, which is I only know what I am living. Yes. Whatever theory that you've learned in books, put it aside. If you're li- living it, you understand it. And if, if, you know, if we can explain something like a, like a five to a five-year-old, we understand it. 
So I go see Dove and, and we sit, we sit beside me and depending where I'm at, it, it depends what I need in that moment. Uh, but he's taught me how to love myself. Mm. He's emulated to me what leadership looks like. Uh, he's helped me build my whole business. Mm -hmm. um, before I met him, which is, sounds funny, but I did not even know how to write an article. I oh did not goodness. know. He said to me, he said, what do you love to do? I said, I love to write. It was like, write a blog. And I was like, I don't know how to write. <laughs> I made that face. It was, I don't know how to write. And I shut it down so fast. And he was like, <laughs> and he came back again. And I was like, I don't know how to write. And he was like, I'll help you. Wow. And he taught me how to write my first article, my first blog, my first, my first fairy tale, adult fairy tale, my first case study, my first Forbes article. And, and when I joined Forbes was two months ago in June, mm -hmm. and I had never written for Forbes before when I asked them, Hey, can I write for you guys? And and I received an email this morning saying that we know you don't Google yourself, probably not, but your front page for us. And I was like, <laughs> whoa, whoa. and that was the girl who two months ago went to her mentor and said, I don't know how to write for Forbes, teach me. And he's teaching me all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, how to define target market, how to write a sales page, how to do strategic planning, how to retain talent, how to hire talent, like everything you can ever think about. The guy's been in the business for like 35, 40 years. No one does it alone. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest thing that anyone can do for themselves is saying three words. I need help. Yes. <laughs> Well, because you don't know. I've realized that in my whole college experience, I have no idea what I'm doing. I know a little bit about some things, what I've experienced, but there's so many people that have learned so much more than I have, and I've just been these entire two weeks, can I, you know, can you help me? Can you help me? Can I, can I learn from you? And it's been an incredible experience on its own because you have to realize that you can never do these things alone. Of course, it builds a bond. We all mm -hmm. love to help. So yeah. when, when people, when my clients don't ask for help or they come a week or two later, it's like, well, I really need help. Really? And <laughs> I say to them, think about it. If you have a skill and you want to help people and the people who need that skill, need to learn that skill, they don't ask. So you're not only denying yourself that help, you're also denying the other person the pleasure of serving you yeah. and their own growth, personal growth as well. We're all in this together. Mm -hmm. When I realized that, I'm like, oh my goodness, I need help with everything. And that's why I was able to grow so fast. Mm -hmm. Like five years ago, no, three years ago, I was an unknown on LinkedIn, just so you know, unknown. Wow. It was like, I'll click here and there. Mm -hmm. I have close to 10,000 followers. That was just yes. in a year and a half. Because amazing. I went and I asked for help. Is that the best way to network and find people? And is that the best way to, because um, I know you have a talk about how you uh, connect quickly and bond quickly with clients. Is asking for help and being open and vulnerable yeah. the best way to connect with people and the best way to be, to network? It is. 
Mm. We are. See, what is the number one denominator with every experience that you have? Who is it? People? Yeah. Uh, always people. Depends on a certain person. I would usually say my dad. No, no. Who is the number one, the common denominator with every experience you have? Oh, me. <laughs> yes. I should have phrased the question. So, you. Yeah, you're good. So, it's you. You laugh because you get it. It's you. Mm -hmm. So that you, it's your vulnerability. If when I was shut down emotionally and I've dated amazing guys and they loved me and I'm sure many people can relate to that, but they, they couldn't get through to me because even if they showed me love, I was unable to receive it because I was shut down. I was self-protecting. I, that, I had that thick armor on me because I was afraid of getting hurt. Mm. But when I realized that if I wanted to experience love, I had to drop my own armor. I had to become yes. vulnerable yeah. so I could feel, so I could love and feel and receive love. And that scared me shitless because I thought, what if people hurt me? And my <laughs> mentor said to me, people who are truly loving, they know they can hurt you, but they won't do it because they love you. They'll do their mm. best. That's beautiful. So it's vulnerability all the way. That's the depth. Your deepest relationships, the deepest bond that you have with people. Think about it. Is this is the people you talk about the deep stuff with? Yes. And does that all revolve around love? Just being loving towards people and giving them that knowledge, giving them that wisdom, saying, I want to have an intimate conversation with you. Let's talk about life. Let's talk about the world. Let's talk about you. It's about, first, it's about loving ourselves. Mm. People think it's about, no, I'll love others first. I loved everybody before. That's what I said. But if I'm unable to love myself, then that, that you know, and I say, let's say um, low self-worth is vinegar, okay? So therefore, I had vinegar water. Oof. And I would give you a glass of wa vinegar water and try to pretend it's water. People mm. with low self-worth, that's what it is. That's, that's the way I explain it to people. We're the vessel. Yeah. So if I want to give people water, then I must clean that water. That's why yes. Bruce Lee said, if you want to learn, like at some point, I think he says, if you want to learn how to, how to become a master of your feelings and emotions, you must empty, like you, you, it was like that, that, uh, that saying, you know, the glass of Coke. That's like glass of vinegar, a vinegar water. You must empty it first so you can pour clear water in. Mm. So it's first, it comes from us. The level yes. that we are loving towards ourselves, it determines our ability to emotionally connect with others. See, if I love me, I look for the common things in you. Oh. I look for the things as to what makes me click with this girl. Yeah. But if I don't love me, I'll go into judgment. Oh. I'll start looking at people, what I think is wrong with them. But whatever judgment that we have, it's never about other people. When I real, no, we live in wow. our mirror. Yeah. Like, for example, I found something the other day was fascinating. Yeah. Like my shirt, it, well, it looks red, but it's, you know, it looks red on the, uh, on the camera. So let's just say it's red. People would say my shirt is red. Mm. 
-hmm. I would say, how do you know it's red? Because you w we were taught that that's red. But to see that red, it's a chemical reaction inside the mind. That's all it is. Mm. And we were told when that flickers in the mind, in the brain, that's red. So mm -hmm. a judgment is a chemical reaction inside our mind. We're not never judging others, we're judging ourselves. It's the biology of belief. I've never it's a heard book by story. Bruce Lipton. It blew my mind. Yeah, no, just hearing it right now is so interesting because you can say like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that person's outfit when they walk down the street. But that that's saying something about you as well. And yes. understanding like, oh, I like that person's fashion sense. That's also saying something about you as well. Yeah. I've never I've never thought about it like that. I've never noticed it like that. And it, it's blowing my mind at this very, very moment. <laughs> oh, my goodness. When it comes to, and this is something I really want to understand because I am a college student as of right now. I have, I don't have money. <laughs> I do not have money. That is completely fine. I'm, you know, day to day, it's, it's a lot of fun. But, you know, what is that? You have a big financial background. What is that relationship with money? What is an unhealthy relationship with money? And what is a healthy relationship with money? How do you differentiate the two, and how do you get towards a healthier mindset? Okay. Um, a belief is something that was taught to you. Like we talked about the red shirt. That's red. Yes. That's blue. But now we know it's a chemical re reaction that could have been called anything. Mm. Up to the age of seven, roughly, 99% uh, of the beliefs that you were taught by your parents, your teachers, your friends, your peers, you took it for granted because up to the age, before the age of seven, we liked discernment. Mm -hmm. And we took it because we wanted to fit in, we wanted to be loved, and we believed that our parents knew the truth. Yes. So for me, what I saw growing up was, I grew up at the end of a dirt road, there was no money, and it was that money is something to hate because my parents constantly fought about money. When they had money, it was about how to spend it. When they didn't have money, it was how to make it. So there was never a moment where they would have this appreciation or this love for money. Mm -hmm. so, so therefore, because I never questioned those beliefs before, I went through life thinking that money is hard to make, money doesn't grow on trees, it's, uh, it's uh, got to stretch the money, uh, feeling like a million bucks. There were so many beliefs. By the time I sat down and I wrote them down, I had pages. I had like freaking 10 pages of, of those beliefs. And I started looking at them going, but is that true? Mm -hmm. When my clients come to see me, they're like, it's hard to make money. Is it true? And they're, oh, their ego mind goes, yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> Is it always true? Yes. Is it hard to make a penny? You can find pennies anywhere. I'd you can no. find penny. You get money for free. People <laughs> wouldn't say, would you get money for free? No, you can find pennies everywhere. Mm -hmm. Is it hard to make 10 cents? No. A dollar? No. Five dollars? No. Five ninety-nine. No, I can go on and on and on. And the person at some point gets very <laughs> agitated and says, like, what's your point? The point is, you just said that money was hard to make. But you keep answering no. 
which means that money is easy to make. Mm -hmm. And that puts the wedge in their mind. They go, what? And that's in that place of confusion that we can instill a new belief that money is easy to make. And then we look for that evidence that money is easy to make. Mm -hmm. Like you just said about finding the pennies. You can use that example over and over again and say to yourself, I find pennies, I find money everywhere. Every money day. comes to me easily because I find coins on the ground. <laughs> I find, and when you get those coins, mm -hmm. say thank you. Mm. Say thank yes. you. Yes. How many people I see on the street, like sometimes I walk and I see this dollar or this, and I will go and I'll pick it up. And you see some people look at me and I just go, it's money. Thank you. <laughs> if I were to go at the money, then I'm applying that everywhere. Because what we do is what we do everywhere. We're the vessel. Yes. So for me, it became that mindset that money is easy to make. Mm -hmm. And I look for evidence of that. Is it, is it different for different demographics? So if you're young and you're 20 years old and you may or may not be living with your parents or you're you know, 43 and you have a double income household and you have kids, is there a different mindset when it comes to money or is it just all the same thing, being grateful oh, about it? I will, I will shatter this one mm -hmm. um, because I'm well placed to, to, um, to talk about it. Yes. I grew up in a household that had zero money. Mm -hmm. and constant struggle so it was basically if we would put in a nutshell it was quote unquote I hate money it's such a trouble yes. and it's a struggle to make money yes. and then uh, I became a finance economist uh, I, I by the age of 26 I was an assistant vice president for one of the largest company on Bay Street it's like Wall Street wow. uh, client servicing 22 billion dollars in management my fiance at the time was managing two billions. He and he was under 30. And, wow. and we, we quit our jobs. We went to Asia. We got married. Uh, and he became the head of Hong Kong, China, and Taiwan for Swiss Bank. He's, he's the wow. guy who brought the derivatives market, China, to the world wow. in terms of. Uh, so we rolled in money. I was a multimillionaire. So you would think that I loved money. <laughs> now, money was a freaking headache because the more money we made, how do we invest it? Which currencies? Which stock to buy? Which it never ended because the underlying belief was, quote unquote, I hate money. Mm. And then did that ever change for you? Do you still hate money today or do you view oh, it as something it, else? It, it, it changed to such an extent that because that was the underlying belief that I always struggled for money, I lost everything. I lost oh, everything. I ended up with three quarters of a million in debt, divorced, and no job. Oh, and goodness. I repaid, and now I had to really look at my money mindset. Yes. And within five years, I repaid everything, every single penny, and I've been debt-free wow. ever since wow. and, and thriving. And it's... Um, because it's a money mindset. It's a belief. It's an emotional connection. 
See, a thought has energy. Mm-hmm. That belief is fueled. That fuel is the feeling and emotion, either mm-hmm. positive or negative. So when you fuel that thought, think of the thought, think of the, um, the belief as the car, the fuel as the gas, mm. but we get to control. But when we don't know our beliefs, the car controls itself, which is the subconscious mind. And yes. it will bring us exactly to what we believe. And we will manifest whatever thing that we think. That's why I say to people, even if you believe, if you say to yourself, got to stretch the money, got to stretch the money, got to stretch the money, got to make more money, money, money is easy to make. Unless you feel that it's easy, mm-hmm. it will not become easy. It's a mm-hmm. feeling. So you must feel to change our lives. It all comes down to the feeling. Yep. When, you know, hearing your story, it's extremely interesting. To say, the, to say the very least, I have met people, many people that have greatly struggled, especially early on in their lives, and they also come out to be greatly successful. Why, why is that? Why does this pattern exist? I can only speak for myself. Mm-hmm. But for me, it, it comes down to, to this little girl inside of me. Mm is I love her, I love me. And I believe that I came here to make a positive difference in people's lives. And so it's about purpose. So I believe it boils down to purpose. If we're emotionally connected to, to our cause, and, and our cause is not found in the head, it's found in the heart. And it's what has caused us the most pain. Mm-hmm. And when people ask me what motivates me, what inspires me, mm-hmm. pain. Wow. I dip into my pain. You feel it. It's instant. Mm-hmm. And in that place, there's that fuck it. That, that place where we hit the fuck it mm-hmm. point where we go, <laughs> no not on my shift and the goosebumps they come i will do my very best to make this place a better world and there's that connection that makes us move mountains and i believe become highly successful it's vulnerability that is beautiful that is beautiful (laughs) wise and deep and well like i I could talk to you for hours. I could talk to you for hours. Just your wisdom is overflowing. And I love hearing your voice. You're an amazing storyteller. But unfortunately, we're running out of time. Where can everyone find you? Where can everyone hear your talks and learn more about you or seek you out? Um, My website is walkinginside.com. My company is called Walking Inside Resources. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. My name is spelled A-N-N-E. B-E-A-U-L-I-E-U. A lot of vowels. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta buy a lot of vowels for that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the price is right. <laughs> Always. <laughs> All right. Well, Anne, thank you so much for being on. I loved having you. It was a pleasure. I can't believe it went so quickly. It went by I so know. quickly. <laughs> I'm like, I could talk to this girl all day. Oh. <laughs>